Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And we are greeting you in the fiery heat of summer 2021. The climate crisis is climbing. We're way up north and we can't even escape it. It's bananas. Even though it's very hot and not that rainy, we have a poem about the rain. It is by, it's by Audre Lorde. I can't believe we haven't done a poem by her in a full episode. Yeah, the poem is called Coping. Um, and Audre Lorde is incredible. She was a self-described Black feminist, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet. Um, and she wrote many, many, many poems, many, many, many essays. She, gosh, I don't even know. She also wrote, um, yes, she wrote the Cancer Journals, which is another big work. She's she's notable for many reasons. Um, she, she has sort of written intersectionally before that kind of term was coined um, and became more mainstream. Um, she was a fierce activist as well as writer, um, and the two were part and parcel um, for her. And yeah, there's a lot to say about her. Um, I mean, but. she's somebody who's like such a foundational thinker uh, for so, so much, both in terms of like her writing and her poetry, but also the contributions she made to theory. It's like you, it's kind of impossible to sum up. And it's, 
I think all you can really do is like point folks towards, Hey, there's a lot of good stuff here to read. We, <laughs> we had to pick a poem because of like the conceit of the show and stuff. Um, and you can list like awards and accolades and bibliographies with her for probably literally days. Um, <laughs> not unlike famed strength athlete, Zadrunas Saviscus, the number of world records that guy holds, you could be going forever. Um, that was the comparison I was going to make as well. Yeah, she's the big Z of intersectional activism. <laughs> uh, the World's Strongest Man competition was last week. I've got strongman on my brain. Um, <laughs> not the point. The point is she's got like so much going on that it's impossible to kind of condense without leaving so much out that it's like you really got to dive in for yourself. And there's there's a lot there to to enjoy and to really sink into. Absolutely. And I think there's no better way than just to get right into the poem. It's called Coping. And shout out to Sarita. She is one of her faves. And um, yeah, she suggested it. And I have also loved the poem. And so here we are. Um, every every episode of Close Talking is technically dedicated to Sarita, but I feel like this one is double dedicated. <laughs> yes, it is. At any rate, this is Coping by Audre Lorde. It has rained for five days running. The world is a round puddle of sunless water where small islands are only beginning to cope. A young boy in my garden is bailing out water from his flower patch. When I ask him why, he tells me, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily. Yeah. I have so many questions. But I will defer to let you do a narrative rundown first, as, okay. is, our, as is tradition around these parts. As is tradition. Um, yeah, so yeah, we often do a little play-by-play, -play, get, get the poem down to just what's going on. It's called Coping. It's pretty, it's a short poem, fairly simple. Lots of rain, constant rain, and the speaker has a garden and there's a boy in the garden who is, um, you know, bailing out water from the flower patch, uh, which sort of piques the curiosity of the speaker. She asks him why, and he gives this kind of, you know, wise figurative response, um, you know, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily um and that's uh, that's pretty much it that's pretty much it. i mean elephant in the room also taking a strong stand on the globe it's a round puddle take that flat earthers <laughs> that's all i gotta say um <laughs> all right so my first question relating to this poem is you've mentioned it before in like oh. in conversation you've mentioned particularly the opening lines, but like you, you've mentioned this poem before, like it's come up and obviously you live with someone who really, really likes this poem, but in what situations do you find yourself thinking of lines from this poem? Like when, when does it come up for you? 
as a poem that like resonates with ongoing existence (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no um i don't know like when life you gotta i don't know life can be pretty tough (laughs) and um you know and the world can be pretty harsh sometimes and so um you know coping is a learning how to cope with with hardship or you know difficult things or pain or whatever is a both generally an important thing but also like you know for me it's definitely something that I've had to like learn coping skills you know go into therapy and developing sort of those abilities to to hold hardship and um, process it and not let it kind of freeze you or overwhelm you or whatever. Um, And so I think this poem, it's a kind of very beautiful um, sort of metaphor for coping in a way where, you know, you have this like it's been rain it's been raining for five days there's no sun it's like just water and then there's this boy who you know basically like he tells me young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily is this kind of coping strategy in a way or like this metaphor for coping of like when things are really hard, it can be difficult to remember sometimes like the good parts of life or even just this won't last forever. It's been raining for five days, but it's not going to rain for the next million. Like it's going to the sun, the sun will come out <laughs> at some point or whatever. Tomorrow, um, one might even say it could come out tomorrow. Um and yeah and so but there's a there's a need part of coping can be this kind of like reminder uh to keep on keeping on in a way of like okay there's not sun right now but like if we get too drowned in the water like um you know, well, we could, we could forget that um, this isn't sort of a permanent state of affairs, I think. And I think like, it's one of those things where, I don't know, the poem is just a very, it sort of serves as its own reminder of that, you know, like, it's nice to turn to this poem as a kind of like, this is a common experience and and it's sort of it's kind of like interesting in a way too where the bailing out of the water like the metaphor itself is quite rich i think seeds can be i guess overwhelmed i don't know too much about how much water but from the pure perspective of of like like it doesn't solve the problem to bail out the water 
it's almost about the metaphor and the action itself rather than like the benefit gained from removing the water if that makes sense i don't know um, yeah i don't know if that answers your question but uh no it does because i do yeah i think it does get at that kind of I think, yeah, your point about like it rained for five days, it's not going to rain forever. But like after five days, it kind of feels like it's going to be forever. You know, I mean, we're right now we're dealing with not necessarily rain, but like heat in the summer. And like the calendar year is just long enough that you forget how awful the heat of summer is by the time it rolls around. I feel like the first hot day is always like, oh, my God, that's right. This is what this is about. Ugh. Um <laughs> You know, yeah. everybody has that experience for whatever season they dislike. But like the the calendar year is just long enough that you're like, oh, I forgot how bad this is. Okay. <laughs> um, and I feel like with rain or with like cloudy days, after about five of them, if there's a sunny day after them, you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's not like you forgot what sun is like, but it is long enough that you become acclimated to the other thing. And yes. so. I feel like the timing is just right in this. It's like, yeah, five days of straight raining and you're just sort of like, Ugh, this is what it is now. And I really like the uh, the way that this kind of hints at, you know, I mean, I joke about the flat earth and the round whatever, but the the allusion to the ubiquity of water in the globe and the kind of waterloggedness of existence Um which aside from the fact that most of the earth is quite literally a round puddle of sunless water because the sun penetrates very little of the actual <laughs> like water, like it gets pretty dark pretty quickly and also water covers most of the planet. So actually, yes, the world is a round puddle of sunless water where small islands are only beginning to cope like for a long time. Yeah. That, I, that, that is the case right now. Literally most of the world is in darkness and it's under the ocean. I like pointing to that natural world fact because that is not at all how we focus on our experience of existence on earth we don't necessarily spend most of our time thinking about the fact that that is the case even if it is and so it's not like we look at the planet earth and think oh my god what a depressing ball of dark water with a bunch of weird fish in it um <laughs> the larger point that the poem makes about sort of where's your emphasis? How are you experiencing what's going on? Here's an example of a way in which your orientation towards the world probably automatically programs you towards a positive, or at least, you know, you're focusing on the little good things. And I've probably made this example before because I really like it. And here's my sort of uh, just getting in my bro cred here with a with a quick oh. reference to True Detective season one. Woo! Uh, yeah, my boys McConaughey and Harrelson just out there rocking around in the Louisiana wilds. Um, spoiler <laughs> alert for the end of season one of True Detective. This is, doesn't give away any plot points except I guess for the fact that Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are both alive at the end. Uh, but they're like limping away from a hospital in their hospital gowns. And they're looking at the night sky and Woody Harrelson's like, oh man, you know, there's the stars are pretty small and there's a lot of dark stuff. Like it's pretty dark out in there. And Matthew McConaughey is like, all right, man, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm Matthew McConaughey and I'm my hero's five-year-old self. Um, 
But what do you <laughs> And I'm what, gonna run for governor. I'm gonna be the best governor Texas ever had. A bongo in every uh, puka shell for my <laughs> constituents. Um no, so Matthew McConaughey yeah. says, uh, you're looking at it all wrong, Marty. Once <laughs> there was only dark. Looks to me like the light's winning. Um, Woo. So it's like, you know, the night sky is mostly dark, but there's stars in it. And maybe you focus on the fact that it's mostly dark, but maybe your perspective is uh, not the only one to have. Um <laughs> And I feel like that's how this poem describes basically the planet uh, and then reflects that back towards, you know, this really beautiful interaction with the young boy who is doing this act of bailing, which, as you said, maybe it's accomplishing a task. Maybe it's not. But it is an act of like active hope, basically, of, you know, potentially futile action, but still with great meaning. And certainly I think the poem would would say with great value. Um, and I think that is the other kind of aspect, which is like, uh, there's a whole big bunch of theory on this, but the idea of quote unquote acting as if, so like maybe, you know, that there is no, moral code to the universe but you act as if there is this is something that comes up in writing about like in academic writing i should say about um like certain kinds of western films and western heroes where there's no actual law but you've got this person who has a code of some sort that they live by and they kind of write it into the world they are the hero because they act as if all of these laws apply even when they aren't there And so this heroic notion of acting as if this is an example in the, the bailing boy acting as if it still matters in the face of a deluge to be bailing out your little area in the hope that the seeds won't drown. So I feel like that is another kind of, it's it's another one of those sort of perspective shift things. Are you going to focus on the fact that the world is chaos and disorder and nothing matters and it's all like entropy and whatever on the cosmic sense, borrowing from the kind of hints at a global thing going on earlier in the poem? Or do you say, okay, maybe that's all technically true and maybe that's the way that the universe trends towards entropy and whatever, but I can act as if, you know my friendships matter and the world goes on. And I think particularly when you're, you know, quote unquote coping, a lot of it can be about finding those small tasks that become meaningful to you that you can then begin building on to kind of pull yourself out of maybe you become the young seed and you're figuring out those little ways to not drown easily. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I love all of that. Um, yeah, it's interesting the yeah, what you what you say about how the world is around puddle it's it's like on the one hand it's sort of this hyperbole about like that kind of captures the feeling of when you're like really, you know, down and like inundated with this kind of um 
hardship. It's like the whole world is just a puddle of sunless water. Um, so on, on the one hand, it's like this kind of intentionally over <laughs> dramatic, but then I love, yeah, that it's also just um, a pretty accurate, like description of what the world is. Yeah, I don't know. That's like, that's really nice to hold those two things together. One thing that I that I love about this poem, you know, it's a very, very short, uh, but it, it's, it doesn't really have punctuation. Um, so it's mostly using the lines um, to kind of suggest where, you know, there's a new sentence or a new clause or whatever i sort of read into a few spots that that be, because of the the kind of like ambiguous sentence lack of punctuation you know there's moments of like ambiguity about what's actually referring to what in some ways um you know like it has rained for five days running running has its own line there's a little kind of double meaning, I think a bit where it's like five days running, like five days straight, but then it ev it evokes the the running water aspect of the rain, I think, and just like that going everywhere. And then the the real center ambiguity is this like to cope part, like where I read it, which now that I read it, I'm not I'm, I don't even know, but like, it's like where small islands are only beginning to cope. Um, but it could also be like the world is around puddle of sunless water where small islands are only beginning. End of sentence to cope. Like with all of that, a young boy in my garden is bailing out water from his flower patch when I ask him why, he tells me, you know, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily. And like the way to cope sort of stands on its own line. Um, and so there's no explicit direction um, that's like, this ends the sentence, this begins the sentence. For some reason, I, I really like that. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess I think there's probably it does a lot of things, but one of the things is just like in terms of that sort of global personal thing it's like who's doing the coping right it's like is it this the small islands of the world coping or is it this young boy who's bailing out the water and i and obviously there's some element of both of course um but i think like having that doubleness sort of in the poem yeah I don't know it just it because it it's interesting too where the 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 perspective of the poem being the speaker sort of asking this boy why is he doing this thing why is he bailing out the water from the flower patch it's like there's some distance between it's not n sort of said that the speaker is coping or trying to cope with anything specifically, you know, but the, the title of the poem coping makes it seem like 
that's kind of what's happening. And of course, like obviously the speaker is also being <laughs> rained on for five days. Um, but it's the boy that's sort of doing the thing that is the coping action in a way um, by the end, which the speaker is sort of observing happening. And I think like sort of learns from the boy, which I also love for another reason of just like, there's like this amazing kind of wisdom of the boy being young himself and like, I'm going to forget about the sun and I don't want to forget about the sun. I, you know, I haven't, as a kid, I, I haven't planted my roots and like, it's important for me as a young person to, to remember, I guess. That's so interesting because it is like this really strong wisdom kind of born of innocence to be doing this task that might be fruitless. But as an older observer, the speaker can see the wisdom, whether or not the young boy can. And you're so right that it then becomes this like, is this five day rain going to potentially like wash that out of the young boy like will that hope go away will the lesson the young boy takes from this if no seeds do come up is that the young boy's own seed of hope that leads to this act also be crushed out and how do you kind of prevent that i guess how do you make sure that that doesn't happen that is so fascinating yeah no exactly i don't know <laughs> i didn't intentionally begin the talking about climate change but now that i'm just like and obviously this poem was written oh my gosh i feel like maybe in the 80s um a while ago certainly well she passed away in 92 so it must have been a must have been this poem is probably not about global warming almost certainly not but nevertheless it was making me think of it is it because right now you are roasting <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am roasting. The West is in a huge heat drought. The next IPCC report was leaked uh, to some journalists this week, I think. And the news is quite grim. And, you know, there's basically already a lot of climate change locked in. And then, which is just making me think about more and more there's going to be an element of crisis which has already been impacting parts of the world much more than pleasant Minnesota where I am. Um, in terms of policy, it's like some things need to be like we got to slow climate change, but then the other thing is like we need to become resilient to the effects of climate change that are already going like baked in or whatever, you know, like energy electric grids need to have redundancy so that when, you know, like we saw in Texas in the winter and then just now in the summer and then coming down to the personal, especially being in Minneapolis this past year and a lot of the city being in crisis, some of it is like... <laughs> how do we resolve the crisis? But some of it's also just like, how do we 
cope, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and so to me, it, it, the poem and the coping is, is, it just feels like I was thinking about it more in the context of climate change this week, where that's just going to be more and more an integral part of life is like coping with, you know, more extreme weather events. And so, I don't know, I, I just was like, it had, it had originally resonated, you know, with a very personal, like, you know, cause poems can be that sort of space you can, like the poem in a way is the, like the reader is kind of the speaker <laughs> and yeah. the, the poem is kind of the boy uh, and, you can read it and be sort of reminded and, and, you know, live in the space of the wisdom of, of the boy bailing out the water. Um, and then lately I've just been thinking about how it's, it's potentially going to be a more and more necessary kind of, um, mindset or mentality to be um to be coping <laughs> so we don't Definitely. forget yeah no i think that's very real and i think like another aspect because you're right it's not a poem about climate change but it relies really heavily on these natural world elements and i think there is a part of it that resonates on that level um, and particularly reading it exactly as you said reading it in 2021 there's a lot of uh water related coping and weather related coping that's going to have to go on because it isn't just rising sea levels it's also severe storms that do last for five and more days but also just kind of on a symbolic level i mean one of the sort of truisms in like psychoanalytic analysis and whatever is like oh water in your dreams stands for your subconscious um <laughs> and for a poem like this that is so uh, deeply invested in water it is interesting to think about you know beginning with it has rained for five days the the water element that is usually subconscious or submerged or it's like under the surface or it's off in a lake kind of taking over the world particularly for a poem about coping it's like oh this is when all the stuff that you normally try and like push down or keep away comes back and takes over and how do you deal with that um so like there's the natural environmental element to it and on one level that's i think very literal but also there's that kind of symbolic well that it's leaning into um just like as a literary device of using water there's even an episode of the west wing that sort of does it where the president is like you know he's having a crisis and he's freaking out the, the crescendo moment, like the the doors to the Oval Office that have been broken, like fly open and all the water from this giant storm that's been bearing down on Washington and getting closer and closer. It's finally arrived and the doors burst open and water comes flying in. And it is kind of a narrative device where, OK, so like dramatic tension, the the conflict that's happening in the story is rising and this storm is getting closer and closer to Washington. But then when it all comes together, it's also like, Oh, all the stuff, like the conflict and uh, you know, 
grief that the president is feeling he's been trying to keep inside and wrestle with and then it all kind of blows up when the storm itself arrives there's there's countless literary examples of this going on there's the storm singing king lear where lear is thrown out onto the moor and he kind of yells at the heavens and he's like He's Mm -hmm. losing it and nature's losing it. And it's on one level, it's just drama and it's dramatic and he gets to yell at the sky and it's all like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Um, But also it does have this kind of continued recurrence that leads to these sort of psychoanalytic readings that are like, oh, when the water is rising and the tension is rising, it can also be kind of indicative of of what's going on. It's an analytical tool (laughs) that crops up in in literary analysis and studies. Yeah. And that kind of, oh gosh, I'm thinking of the cliche dark and stormy night, but just like the, but it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah. And just the, yeah, the, the environment reflecting the something of the internal state of your protagonist or speaker or something about the, the state of conflict um or narrative or whatever um is is definitely a um yeah a very deep um device that i think sort of goes beyond just like yeah being like a good like an efficient <laughs> trope or whatever like it it is it also sort of establishes there there is we are of nature as well um and uh have relation with it even though well even though we are currently in in bad relation (laughs) with uh much of the world it's the anthropocene Yes. The Hallocene has come and gone and there's the Anthropocene now. There you go. Um the obscene Anthropocene. You can have <laughs> that one for free, folks. That's your book title of the day. Get out there and Woo! write it. Um that is totally correct. And I think also a lot of times using nature imagery and bringing the natural world in can also be indicative of that kind of disordered relationship or it can signal that something is amiss. So Um, Not to like harp on King Lear or anything, but the play takes place during the lead up to an eclipse and that kind of nighttime during day and all this other kind of stuff. Like there's tons of mythology that grew out of this natural occurrence that humans have built to kind of explain it. And it's not only this night is day and day is night, but, you know, right is wrong. Wrong is right. Brother fights brother. There's like a little speech at the beginning about all of this stuff. Um but what the natural world is doing can indicate what is happening with people. So like the transition of power in King Lear is all disordered and messed up because Lear is like abdicating his throne and it leads to this power struggle and it gets all messed around. But in a poem like Coping, where you open with, it has rained for five days, that's not necessarily totally out of the ordinary, but it indicates very strongly what is happening in the poem And it indicates the relationship to nature because it doesn't say it stormed for five days. It's not like this really active tempesty type of rain. It's not this massive weather event. It is this like 
slowly soaking, kind of wearing down, eroding almost uh, water that is happening. And I think that is a really strong indication of what is going on in the poem. And it's not necessarily like wildly deep analysis to point that out, but (laughs) I, I think that it is like the care with which a term like rained can be selected. I think that says a lot because even a different kind of precipitation, it snowed for five days would just create a whole different feeling. There's a very particular kind of like grief or challenge that I feel like is signaled by this like weight of water coming down. Not only is it coming down, but it's also rising up and you're caught between because like if it's raining that much, of course it's starting to make puddles and like you're being overwhelmed entirely by this deluge it doesn't feel aggressive but it feels so relentless <laughs> which i yeah. think is is yeah no absolutely i i i love that a lot it's something that i think about too and and i think one of the reasons poetry is so um i come to it all the time because there's and (laughs) i always think about it for some reason in contrast to movies probably just because i think about movies all the time but or i just watch dumb movies all the time but um like what oh gosh did you watch noah with russell crowe no a lot of rain in that movie oh as a kind of like one way to think about i don't know like an action movie it's like a container for a kind of crisis emotion something's gonna go terribly wrong the world's gonna end you have to save the day you got you know an hour 30 minutes tops to do it but you know what else i got i got jean-claude van damme on my side it's gonna be fine Ooh, well see that's that is good he's gonna Um, kick trouble right in the face do a split and we're done (laughs) it's gonna be great (sighs) and you know even though you know i myself am not john claude van damme jason bourne or james bond um there are moments in my life when you wear tuxedos well very few of those you do karate very very good fewer of those where i'm just there's a kind of a crisis situation that like gets the body feeling in the way that a viewer feels when they're watching that kind of exciting movie that then is sort of resolved one way or the other, you know, in a relatively short period of time. Like, I don't know, like the dog escaped the yard. We need to find the dog. Oh, there is the dog. Oh, see. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. No. Perfect timing. Yeah. So, you know, while I might not be saving the world from a preposterous nuclear apocalypse scheme, uh, you know, sometimes the dog escapes the yard. You got to go find them. Sometimes, you know, these things happen and, and you, you feel the kind of crisis the feeling, the emotions of, of that crisis. And they, um, 
some like I I feel that movies in some ways are are containers for kinds of emotions that we sort of enjoy experiencing in one way or the other or benefit from from experiencing you know so like horror movies have a kind of like a fear a sort of safe fear container but what you were talking about with the rain versus like a tempest is this kind of steady accumulation of of water and it's something i i think about a lot where yeah like there are some things they're not a sharp pain or they don't send you into a crisis but they're just some you know maybe it's something that nags at you something that is a daily sort of um trouble something that you're anticipating that you're worried about there's all sorts of difficult feelings that have different shapes and the raining for five days is its own kind of thing you know where each day is bearable in its own way but the continuation and then suddenly you're like oh you know and if you're young you're like oh it's just it always rains it's always like this and the sun never comes out and so for whatever reason that the five the five days raining feeling is like a a shape an emotional shape that this poem holds um really well that and it resonates especially with me i think and i like that idea of the container a lot because it is like a poem like this or you know horror movies as containers for like palatable fear and action movies or disaster movies as palatable crisis but yeah this idea that different genres of movies are particularly good at holding different types of emotions or a poem like this kind of contains a version of this feeling that you can then interact with without being overwhelmed by it or without directly replicating the real feeling um they become sort of like we're living in the era of vaccines it's a little bit like inoculating yourself or preparing yourself for when you actually encounter whatever the the feeling is i'm thinking even not so much primarily about vaccine but like the way that some people acclimate themselves to um, like snake venom that they will just dose themselves with very small amounts of it and increase the dosage over time there's a guy who's done it with like 157 snake species or something just literally by dosing him like micro dosing venom um <laughs> Oh my God. Which is its own thing. But like, you know, and and you sort of alluded to this at the beginning. It's like when you then end up in a situation, the dog runs out of the yard. You can think, all right, it's time to put my Jason Bourne shoes on and handle this crisis. <laughs> or you, <laughs> you can feel the sort of like, oh, I'm going to need to figure out how to cope with this. And you can go back to this poem and think about the, the young boy bailing out the water and it can then be strengthening and informing for, for when reality strikes. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we read it again? You know, I think we should read it again. Let's hear it. This is Coping by Audre Lorde. It has rained for five days running. The world is a round puddle 
of sunless water where small islands are only beginning. To cope, a young boy in my garden is bailing out water from his flower patch. When I ask him why, he tells me, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily. Well, Jack. Yes? I have a question in this tonal register. I would accept it in no other. What is your question? Well, I'm going to change it soon because I've learned it's not sustainable at all. Yeah, it's hard to keep going. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) How do people do it? Well, Jack, I know that it's basically been Audre Lorde and Strongman for you these past few few days. It past really week. has. <laughs> it really um, has. So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna press you further on those topics though. You're not gonna do... overhead press me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. Log for Max was one of the events in the World's Strongest Man final, Connor. Oh man. Don't come at me with that. I I wouldn't dream of it. I just I <laughs> I would never Yeah, what a you know, what else uh have you been consuming, watching, reading, listening to? Absolutely nothing because it's impossible to watch the world's strongest man and so you have to put an inordinate amount of time into following a a Google Docs sheet that is regularly updated with scores and times. So that took up all of my time, Connor. I've done absolutely no, no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But that is actually true because the actual thing is like broadcast later. They don't show any of it. So you have to watch a spreadsheet and then like various unauthorized Instagram folks who are like, I saw the event. This is what happened. Or they're like, I got a text from somebody who's there. Here's what's going down. It's so, it's so ridiculous. Um, wow. Yeah. So you are correct that it has been mostly Audrey Lord and the world's strongest man competition, which wrapped up over the weekend. But I have also been listening to the Australian podcast, the weekly planet, which is about movies, comics, and TV, and hosted by two good friends. So, hey, I'm into that format, obviously. Live it every day of my life. A great format. It's such a good format. Um, But, you know, these these two guys are are good pals, and they talk about stuff, and they're very funny and fun, and I like their interaction, and I'm, you know, interested enough in, in comic book films the the major artistic popular artistic form of our time so i've been listening to that a lot and i have been also listening to a book on tape of tried by war abraham lincoln as commander-in-chief which is about exactly what the title says it is and it's by james mcpherson who's a historian of the civil war era he's a big name in in that whole realm and it's pretty fascinating i you know it's like pretty stereotypical to be like wow that lincoln quite a guy huh um and (laughs) like whoa what a biography and what a fascinating person but like he actually is so fascinating um there's a reason that there's like a cottage industry of nonfiction books that are just about him and they get churned out every year and they continue to do well because he's one of those people who is like inexplicably 
interesting on his own, but also the ways in which he like rose and matched an occasion that is so unprecedented. He's he's pretty incredible. And so it's a really interesting look at that kind of particular pressure cooker period. And it's an interesting angle to look specifically at Lincoln as commander in chief, because so much of Lincoln as a historical figure is about like, oh, he was such a storyteller. What a raconteur. And here's how he honed that skill by going on the lecture circuit and, you know, a self-taught country lawyer made it to the White House. But to really focus in on his kind of wartime presidency uh, is a fascinating angle. So I've been really enjoying that. Also, obviously, as I mentioned to you before we got on, uh, watching <laughs> the Singing Elves Saturday Night Live sketch starring Kenan Thompson and Scarlett Johansson with an absolutely phenomenal interlude with Bo and Yang. Uh, it's so good. Amazing. I'm going to watch it uh, shortly after this. Yeah, I've sent you the link. I have the link. You will, I think... It's, you know, when you're figuring out how to cope with stuff, I think it's important to have those like go to little nuggets of serotonin where you can kind of visit and be like, you know what, for two and a half minutes, it's going to be fine. And this is one of those like big time. This is one of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been my life. Australian comedy podcasts about pop culture, (laughs) Civil War history, SNL. (laughs) What have uh, what have you been digging into? Oh man! Now that your um, beloved Sixers are no more, I'm so sorry to hear. Yeah, that was um, that was a bummer. They kind of choked there. Um, I actually uh, I went on a little road trip for the kind of the first time since COVID, and I got to listen to a book on tape because of it. Which normally I'm just listening to just inhaling political podcasts and it's yeah i'm just like what are these three people generally in the same place on the political spectrum have to say about the same boring events of the day (laughs) yeah god oh my god i listened to um still life by louise penny who is a kind of like a a highish brow murder mystery writer and it features this it takes place around quebec and there's this it's one of it's the first of many so i'm excited to continue um but there's this this kind of um very stoic perceptive detective uh and this and it's like a very you know there's a curmudgeony poet who's in the small town outside Quebec. Um, uh, get your murder investigation out of my lawn. I got to <laughs> write about birds. Um, yeah. And it just, it was, it was uh, really good and fun and interesting. And um, I highly recommend it. I learned a lot about arrows and bows and stuff. Yeah. I'd say, I did a five-hour drive and then a five-hour back. I finished it with about an hour or two to spare, so really good. And I don't know. I mean, clearly I'm still on my same murder, my murder beat (laughs) procedural. (laughs) 
but you this can't, was i mean i over the winter i listened to every single cat who audiobook that was available from the brooklyn library and the new york public library Shh, don't tell anyone i have a card at both um but like yeah i mean nothing beats the procedural it's just yeah hey connor Talk of, uh-oh <laughs> what did the curmudgeonly poet say to the nosy detective oh no what roses are red violets are blue hey i'm writing a poem here and fuck you too <laughs> oh my god <laughs> wow well and um yeah that's close talking the world's most popular poetry analysis <laughs> podcast uh you come here for the poems and you stay here for the for the for the jokes hey connor <laughs> what did the curmudgeonly poet say to the police detective Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Roster Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.